Hey everyone, welcome to episode 43 of the Solving Problems Podcast, where we talk about the real communication problems your church is facing and give you practical steps to solve them. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Carone. This season, we're talking about the things we have to admit to ourselves in order to more effectively communicate to the people we're trying to reach. In today's episode, we're going to be a little less practical solutions and a little more big picture. It's a topic that's probably harder and really bigger than anything we've tackled this season, but I think it's an important conversation for us to have. The problem we're going to look at is how people think churches just care about politics and how we are divided politically in the church and how we can communicate to people through that. We just came through maybe the most divisive political season of our lifetime, and we had loud pastors and faith leaders pushing ideas as if the whole of Christianity falls within one single political party. Personally, I believe Jesus doesn't speak into political ideas. He's bigger than American politics. The gospel doesn't fit into a single ideology. Instead, Jesus speaks into social and societal issues that we personally have to reckon with. He doesn't tell us how to apply these things to government. So the big idea for today is that for us to reach people in a divided political culture, we have to show them what we're talking about is not political or governmental, but rather personal and spiritual. In today's episode, we're talking with Tali Willigas about how we walk the line of speaking into the culture around us while not being partisan. We'll also talk about how we respond to those who accuse us of jumping into political trends. Tali's the lead pastor of Captivate Church in Baltimore, Maryland. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to him was because his church is split nearly 50-50 between inner city urban minorities and suburban white attenders. In the same way, his church is very representative of both political parties. And as a pastor in this context, Tali has a unique perspective on how to approach these topics, how to respond to the inevitable criticism, and what we can do to better reach people moving forward. So I'm gonna bring the dance music up and then Tali will be on the other side. All right, we're back with Tali. Tali, go ahead and say hey to everybody. Hey, everybody. So today's big idea is that Jesus speaks into societal and religious issues. Uh, not He doesn't speak into political ones. And my views on a lot of the social and political issues and where they meet with the gospel and how this all comes together started to shift after watching how you specifically pastored through the whole Freddie Gray death and aftermath in Baltimore. And so the first question I have for you is, as someone who has pastored through the midst of that, like as big as of a deal as that was, what was it like being in the center of all that with a church that's very diverse? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing that that came to mind for for me is that one of our campuses is um, in inner city East Baltimore in an area called McKeldry Park. And um the immediate thing that came to me was that a lot of my kids were uh, getting involved and I was worried about their safety. And so these are kids that many of them have been in our ministry for, you know, five, eight years. And um, so, you know, them, you know, them from the time they're, they're seven years old. And um, literally that night um, when things were really got uh, crazy, uh, it was happening at a bus depot essentially in town where uh, a lot of the kids have to transit and switch buses. And so a lot of that started um, really on the backs of our teenagers. And so my first reaction and all of that was just the safety of my own kids. 
And then you move to, you know, having to get on a few of them there. Um, you're turning on the news and you're seeing faces you recognize. And so you're trying to call cell phones and get kids to come home. Um, and then you kind of have the, the how did we get here? And um, in the type of church that, that we lead, uh, we have an inner city campus and um, we have uh, at the time two suburban campuses. Um, one I've since spun off and uh, had an African-American pastor named Tyrell Brown take that and he's leading that now. But uh, but yeah, when you have a diverse crowd like that, you you have a, a mixed bag because not everybody understands what's going on. And most people believe that what happened with Freddie Gray was about Freddie Gray. But on the streets, what happened with Freddie Gray was the culmination of, you know, generational poverty finally coming to the surface and people finally saying they've had enough and they want their voices heard. And so in our context, it was a matter of pastoring people that get it and they know why they're upset um, and hurt. And then also trying to teach and educate um, a part of our congregation that maybe spent their whole lives outside the city and all they can see is those people causing problems. So what was the feedback specifically from that second group? Um, probably the more white suburban group who didn't necessarily, they hadn't lived it. So they see this as a political issue where you're, you're from a similar, you're not from a, a suburban white background. That's not your upbringing. So they haven't lived it in the way that you have or in the way that many in your church have. So what was that tension like to walk them through that? Sure. They, they're not completely ignorant of, of the plight or the circumstance, but there's a different there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something, you know, living it. And in this case, it was a matter of lived experience. And um, the the teaching is to really catch people up and help them to empathize. And it's different from sympathy. Sympathy is I feel bad for you. Um, empathy is I feel bad with you. And so in order to get to the to the with, we have to be able to, to teach and educate and bring people up and help them understand. I mean, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream was just in 65. I mean, we're, we're not many generations away from slavery. We're not uh, a generation away from uh, civil rights and Jim Crow. We're not very far away from redlining where many of these communities um, we're smushed in together on top of each other. So all of these issues need to be discussed and unpacked in, in, in the dialogue about the gospel so that everybody can understand where each other's coming from. What was in in that and in the, the time since, because I mean, it's been a few years and there's been many issues since, um, what are some of the specific tensions you remember having to pastor through that maybe were unexpected or different or harder than you expected them to be? So I think for me, I, when the, the charges came down for the police officers, because if you remember at the time, um, and still continues today, but it was even more prevalent back then, it was almost unheard of that there would even be charges. And I remember sitting in my office when the news broke and, um, the state's attorney said that they were going to go ahead and, and file charges. Uh, I literally shed tears because I um, had felt the pain of my black brothers and sisters that 
had just simply felt injustice for so long. Um, now, on the other hand, one tension is we also have in our congregation um, a number of law enforcement officers. And so um, I understand that on their uh, social profiles, their kids, their family members, they don't even post their last names because they're afraid of retribution simply for doing their job. And so one of the tensions I think that was most poignant was this idea of are we making the the criminals out of the officers? Are we turning all officers into bad guys? And simply knowing a lot of law enforcement, um, especially in our ministry context, that wasn't the case. This isn't who they are, but um, they happen to be on a team wearing the same color as some people that have done some pretty terrible things. So I think one of the biggest tensions that came out of that was how do you have an inner city ministry with kids that are getting harassed and beat up by cops, and then also ministering to the law enforcement and first responder community that have to go into these situations and try to um, restore order and um, safety to the neighborhoods that need them. And it, to me, it seems like the 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 thread that's woven through all that has to be the gospel, because there aren't there's there's so many different societal and political and all these different issues that are going to tear us apart in those different contexts, but it's the gospel that brings us together. So how did you specifically lead in those ways so that you always brought things back to the gospel while being empathetic to both your inner city kids and your first responders and law enforcement? Sure. Now the, the gospel itself has both sides. Like the, the gospel itself, it's written from a, um, a perspective. When you open your Bible, it's written from a persecuted people, a disadvantaged group, a group that doesn't have a voice in their society. They're not the, um, the, the leaders. They're the marginalized. And so the Bible is literally written from an oppressed point of view. The people of Israel, um, they, they weren't this dominant nation that ruled everything. And so, so, mu so much of the gospel, when you read it, so much of the Bible, when you read it, it's really about this oppressed group looking for freedom. Um, the gospel also is pretty clear of, about um, loving your neighbor. And so a law enforcement officer is, in their minds, looking at Romans 13, and, and they're saying, look, the, the governing authorities have given and established some boundaries, and we've got to live up to that. Um, the gospel itself is about understanding that we've broken God's law, that, that we're lawbreakers. And so this tension already kind of exists within the gospel, this idea of an oppressed group um, that a dominant force mistreats, as well as the idea that um, that doesn't give us permission to uh, continue to live outside of order and law and civility. And so the tension of the gospel uh, really cuts down for both sides. We've kind of gone with a mantra around here of uh, living wholly broken. Um, because if you're inner city poor uh, and you're generationally poor like I was, I have been, um, I'm the first in my family to graduate high school for many generations, the first to go to college, certainly to have a master's. But in all of that, if, if that's what your context is, then your need is to be made whole. Um, conversely, if you lived a suburban life and for many generations, you really haven't had a lot of brokenness happen to you, you know, um, then honestly, humility and brokenness is the call of the gospel. 
And so we talk about living wholly broken, living a life that draws people to the wholeness of Jesus. Um, but in that wholeness of Jesus, don't get too arrogant and cocky and full of yourself, but rather submit yourself to be to be willfully broken. And so Jesus did both. He had complete power and authority over everything, um, but he always took the side of the oppressed in, in that. As we've gone through, just to switch gears a little bit, go a little more big picture from Freddie Gray to bigger than that. Past two political elections have been hugely divisive. No. You're, you're <laughs> <laughs> They've been fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> you and I both come from a liberty background. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, you, you do pastor a church that has a lot from both political sides in it. It's not like, like in my town, um, I live in a small, I call it a redneck town. Uh, it's a suburb of Winston-Salem. We had churches putting out Trump flags and mm. banners and everything like that. Like the, the idea of a Democrat being Christian around here is a foreign concept to many in my area. But you lead a church that is very much both Republican and Democrat in their political leanings. So um, I'm a believer, and you know this about me, that the gospel is bigger than a political party, that Jesus doesn't fit into a political party. So how have you walked that tightrope of speaking into the issues of the gospel, those societal issues and the personal issues without necessarily endorsing political policies as you were preaching or leading? Sure. Now, I think uh, uh, Philippians 2 kind of grounds you. You know, it just says that there'll be a day when every knee bows to King Jesus. Um, And and the other thing I I think when you're walking these these lines and tightropes and third rails, um, one thing you have to do, I believe, is be convictionally solvent, like just know who the Lord is, know who Jesus is, and know what he's called you to do. Um, and one way to think about it is our we have a, a mission in Kenya, not that we just send money to, but that we participate in, and uh, it's a living, breathing part of our of our ethos. And so one thing I keep in mind is that in Kenya, they almost have a civil war you know, every time since 1965, whenever there's an election. And the issue is tribalism. The issue is not black and white. It's not Republican and Democrat. But all across the world, no matter where you go, people like to put themselves into groups where they feel safe. And what I ask myself for most American pastors is, how would we be a missionary um, if we walked in? Because we have none of that context. We have none of that baggage or background. What we have is Jesus, and we're trying to give it to people with diverse tribal influences. How would we do it then? And I think many times we exegete the culture here, starting with, you know, I live near Winston-Salem. I live near Baltimore. I live in California. And really, the call is for us to start with, I'm a citizen of heaven first, and then I'm involved in or I'm invited into this community in which I live. God's placed me here to be a missionary. So for me, it's having convictions that if I get up and speak, um, I'm not taking notes from the Republicans or the Democrats. I'm not looking to their platforms to decide uh, who I'm going to vote for or what to support. What I'm looking first is is at Jesus and what he's called me to do. And so um, for me, I believe that if you're convictionally uh, Christian, meaning you're following Christ, you're going to find yourself uh, enemies of both sides. You just have to. Um, when you go through issue by issue and tick off uh, the issue of life, uh, does life only start and end, start at conception and end at birth? Or are we convictionally Christian with life, meaning 
that all life matters all the time. Um, are when you think about um, even something like taxes, uh, a Republican might argue heavy, heavy, heavy. You know, we need to leave people alone and not tax them. Um, and a, maybe a, a liberal would say, no, 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 we have to use the tax system to help right some wrongs. Um, but even with that, we did a study through Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter five. They had a whole issue going on about unfair taxes and um, the people that were rich oppressing the poor. And so that gives you an opportunity to teach about oppression, teach about financial literacy and teach on these things that um, normally would seem like divisive issues. They don't have to be um, just simply find Jesus in it and preach the Jesus in it. That should be enough for most people. But we, we've seen that even when we do that, people will push back and say, you're being too political or you're being too woke or you're not being um, compassionate enough towards the oppressed or I mean, whatever the issue is, the, the catchphrase is on either side. When you speak gospel truth into issues and people come back at you like that um, with a heavily partisan or political bent, how do you pastor and lead and communicate through that to those people? Um, I can't help but uh, laugh a little inside, uh, John. I, I'm an Enneagram 8. And uh, so well, I, was, I almost said that because I know <laughs> that about you. Like, <laughs> uh, so as a result, a lot of that doesn't come my way. Um, uh, because here's the thing, like I, I don't have a problem um, with having that dialogue. I, I'm not uh, a lot of people, a lot of pastors, um, a lot of people in ministry really do have a problem with being challenged. And um, I actually view challenge as a good refinement tool. So if someone wants to challenge me on a particular topic, um, I'm happy to address it. I, I really don't believe that I, I I don't go into the pulpit with a blank slate in front of me. I mean, I've gone into the pulpit um, uh, having prayed through a sermon, read through the scripture. I understand the context. Um, I'm not making it up as I go. So as a result, if somebody doesn't like a phrase I use, um, that's a great teaching opportunity for me to just say, okay, cool, let's talk about it. You don't like that I talked about um, the immigrant. Let's talk about so-and-so in our church that um, was brought here as a child. And you know their story, but you didn't know that they were undocumented. So let's have a conversation. Um, let's talk about uh, a abortion. Let's talk about uh, LGBT issues. Let's walk through and just discuss them. I invite that dialogue. I don't run from it. I think a lot of pastors either run from it or they become bullies about it. And really, you and I know the kind of the ones that get on TV and um, from the right and the left, but in this cycle, it was a lot from the right, it felt like, that um, get on and, and really conflate Americana with the, the gospel, and you can't do that. So um, you, you have to be above that. But yeah, I welcome a discussion. I don't view it as something to run from. I view it for as, as an opportunity to continue to, to flesh this out and talk it through. We've really lost uh, civil discourse in society and uh, I'm one that welcomes it myself. I'm the same way. Um, we had a Kyle Mercer from Two Cities Church on a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned uh, one of the things about a, creating a healthy culture like this, having a, a good feedback culture to where, mm -hmm. like like you were saying, like, I welcome it. Like, if you don't like what I'm saying, like, send me the email, send me the text message, send, call me. Um, you got to sign it, though. That's my rule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, let's talk about it instead of just like blasting each other on Facebook because this person's too whatever. 
like actually having those conversations in a way that we want to listen to each other instead of listening to tell them how they're wrong. And I think yeah. that's one of the, that's one of the things that we've lost. Like you said, the civil discourse of like, all right, man, like we, me and you disagree politically on issues. And oh, sure. if people, if people knew our backstory, like when we first met each other, we did not like each other. Like there were, there were like, I was a young 21 year old word. I'm not going to say on this podcast, but, <laughs> um, but through discourse and through conversations and empathy and learning, like me and you have developed a pretty good relationship through that. And if anyone knew us back in 05, 06, to see that we're doing this conversation right now would be shocking. But I think that's what the gospel does. And yeah, if we're able to to look at things through the lens of the gospel and allow ourselves to be challenged and our thought process to be challenged, then Jesus is going to shine through it all because that's what he does. Yeah, I I really believe that empathy does that. When we when when I understand that that the end goal is um, for you to know Christ through my life, meaning at the end of the day, if I'm not revealing Christ, that's on me. That that's not on you. No matter what you do or no matter what you say. I mean, Jesus was telling us to love our enemies and do extra for them, even if they rob us. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm sure we can handle some criticism and still look for the good uh, in the other person. And at the end of the day, it's really our own pride that uh, draws us up to to pick a corner and come out swinging. And uh, really, we have to understand that that's a problem with self. That has nothing to do with the other person. Um, but the other thing I think is is that um, what Jesus did by coming into the earth, and he he had no frame of reference in terms of, of sin. This Jesus was not uh, sinful. He took on sin, having had none. But there was this this empathy. How many times in the scripture does the script does it say that he had compassion on people? How many times did he ask for forgiveness for people that were doing him wrong? And and so there's this idea of of empathy that's laden in the gospel that you've got to have that if you've met Christ, if you have the the Holy Spirit walking with you, you've got to have the ability to love the other, no matter what the other uh, might be in your context. It could be. The, the other is Republican. Uh, the other is, you know, fundamental Baptist. The other is LGBTQ. You have to be able to do that. Otherwise, you don't even understand what Jesus did by coming into the planet to begin with. And I, I would say with that, where where we've gone wrong a lot of times is we have tried to apply things Jesus said morally and religiously to our politics. So like, Jesus says we have to love and care for all those people, but he doesn't say how the government is to support or accept or finance or whatever those people are. So there's room to disagree in LGBTQ. Like, how should we approach that from a legal system? There's room as Christians to disagree in that. What there's not room to disagree on is that we should love and accept and care for and all that stuff. So I think what we have lost and what we've got to get back to is the ability that we have to agree that life is precious and that life is ordained by God. What the government's role in that, that's where a discussion can come. But we have to start from a starting point of agreement of the gospel says this. Now, how do we apply our governmental views to that issue? Yeah, I completely agree on that, John. I think the the challenge with uh, America, with us, is that um, here in America, the government is the people. And so the very shape of our democracy is that we're going to have to have these dialogues with one another. 
And you're going to have people that love Jesus, uh, but they believe that a political way to love others is going to be this or that. And um, I think at the end of the day, it would be healthy for us as churches and congregations if we would teach our people how to be civil and loving inside of the the house of God. Um, Learn from your neighbors who have different views and learn their uh, political leanings and why they feel a certain way. But we got to be careful to say that there is a Christian uh, approach in every single context, and I know what it is all the time. It, it seems like the people that are most passionate about one way of doing things, um, it, it's funny, it, it's never a challenge to their own political ideology. It's amazing. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that, but people that are really strong about what Jesus would do, um, he always would side with them. And, and so we've got to be careful. And uh, we got to say, you know what? There's room. Um, I, I, I want to encourage our listeners to consider reading books, reading authors from Christian perspectives that maybe hold a different view than you do. And um, I've been doing that myself and trying to become better uh, acquainted. Um, a lot of the, the work that I was brought up on and a lot of the, the seminary and the teaching that I was brought up on, the, the books are written all exclusively by uh, Eurocentric old white guys. And um, so I've been trying to do my part to just say, you know, Jesus is speaking to the entire world and he's not speaking just to my nation. Um, who is out there right now addressing the issues um, in these ways to where I might be able to glean some wisdom about what God is doing for all of his kids? I come from a very white town. And so sure. my my background is very white. So to read books from people who love Jesus, who are solid theologically and but have a different perspective, I've learned that is very important for me to get out of. I mean, going back to just the whole Freddie Gray thing, like I my perspective was totally different before talking with you on that because I had never been around. I had a conservative view from my background a white conservative view. And then hearing you and seeing that, like that's what changed a lot or got me on the process to realize that like, Oh, I don't have this all figured out. Like there are people who are different than me. I think it's funny um, that uh, essentially what your the podcast is for is um, you're telling the whole world that Tolly Wilgus is the reason that you are the, the way that you are. So uh, all of the hate mail can start to come to Tolly now. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, funny. No, you, start, think, you, you helped start it. I would say Jesus prompted it. There you but go. You kickstarted it to a, to a different gear. Hilarious. I, uh, no, I think, too, that, uh, like I said, I mentioned earlier, Kenya, um, I, I've also done some work in the, the DR and in Costa Rica. And when I say done work, I don't mean go over there and paint a house and come back and take a lot of pictures and show off a bunch of white people helping minorities. What I mean is go over and do the work of listening um, and, and do the work of sitting at the feet of other teachers. And uh, one of the best happened to me a couple of years ago in Costa Rica, and um, it, he he basically exegeted Matthew 25. If you read Matthew 25, it reads like a far left, you know, um, socialist manifesto. Um, Matthew 25 is all about uh, how are you sorted between the kingdom of heaven and, um, and and essentially hell. 
And it doesn't have the spiritual laws. It doesn't have uh, admit, believe, confess. It doesn't have all the normal stuff. What Matthew 25 takes us to is, did you give uh, the thirsty a drink? Did you warm or put on clothes for those that didn't have any? And it goes through and it says, that is how you're going to find out um, who's admitted to the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so it's really fascinating that our gospel should change us so that it it changes the world around us. And uh, I would just be leery for anyone listening to just say, hey, am I being challenged to change and to love others in a greater way than I thought possible? And if I'm not, then I might want to to research that and um, and maybe find a new place to be poured into. And to bring it all around, because uh, as we close, this is a church communications podcast. And so we we knew this was going to be a little more big picture going into it. But specifically for people who are in the church, who are working in communications, who are trying to reach people who are going through this, how do we promote this idea of Christian unity and political diversity within our churches in a way that allows for these type of things that we've been talking about? What are some things that we can do um, that will allow us to, to do those things in ways that doesn't, that don't start fights, but really promote where we're trying to go in a world that's really divided right now. Yeah. I think that the, the beauty is in the other. I think that if those of you that are communicators and have the ability to, uh, to elevate our eyes, um, teach us what the value is in the other. Teach us what the value is in different generations. Teach us what the value is in different cultures and and, and people groups. Um, teach us what the value is in loving our neighbor and what does it mean. Um, unity in John 17 is Jesus' prayer for all of us. Um, but the, the reality is, is that uh, unity really doesn't matter unless there is diversity, unless there is difference. So for the communicators out there, I would say uh, place a high emphasis not on what separates us, um, but place a high emphasis on Jesus' reflection um, in all of us, uh, all around the world, all ages, all times, all socioeconomic backgrounds and political backgrounds. Teach us the blessing in the other. Show us the divine image uh, in the person that we might normally consider to be uh, an enemy, because Jesus says that at the end of the day, uh, I have to love my enemies. So teach me the the, the good and the God that's found in them. That's awesome. Tali, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. So that's it for this week and for season six on Solving Problems. We're going to take a little break here, but we've already started working on season seven. Season seven is going to be all about how everything is a communications issue. So we'll look at how all the things that we deal with in the church world and how communications especially impact those roles and how important your job is in making your church better and helping you reach people. So if you like today's episode, if you like this season, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you choose. Share it with a friend if it's helped you out and make sure you sign up for your free resource at solvingproblemspodcast.com slash email so you can discover your church's one-of-a-kind flavor and begin setting yourself apart from every other church in town. And if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out at Jonathan underscore Corone on Instagram and Twitter. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Jonathan Corone on Facebook. Have a great summer and we'll see you in season seven. Yeah.